All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Now today what we're doing is we're actually beginning a new series, which is going to be entitled The Big Ten. And when we're talking about the Big Ten, we're not talking about the collegiate sports, but we're talking about, in fact, God's Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments about which you might have heard and with which you're probably familiar if you've been in church any time for any period of time. And we're going to, over the next several weeks, break down the Ten Commandments each week, two at a time, so that we understand not only who God is, but what God requires of His people. Now, as Pastor Cole talked about last week, um, the love of God is really what we want to all embrace and um, be acquainted with. And not only love of the love, be acquainted with the love of God, but have a true and sincere love for God ourselves. But Jesus, as Pastor Cole referenced last week, was saying, ultimately, if you love him, you will obey his commands. The problem, though, with most Christians nowadays is that we get it all twisted. We figure that we want to love and serve and worship God, but we don't know His commands. And if we do know them, we're not altogether willing to embrace them, to actually love Him as He desires to be loved, because we're more affected by the culture around us than we are by the God of the Bible, who is supposed to be Lord of our lives. But through this series, we hope to change that. Through this series, we hope to actually get back to a grounding where God can, in fact, through His Son, Jesus, be Lord of our lives. And in that way, bring us into the freedom that He actually intends for us. That's His hope for us, and that's our hope for you. Now, with that in mind, we're going to break today's message down into three parts. It's going to be entitled, You're Clear Number One, as we talk about the first two commandments. And we're going to break the message down into three parts, talking first about where God belongs. Number two, distorted images of God that need to be corrected. And then number three, true freedom. What it actually looks like when we have true freedom in Christ. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given us your word so that we might actually know you, see you clearly, and serve you in a way that's unadulterated and pure. God, we're asking you that through your Holy Spirit today, you would illuminate for us not only what you expect of us, but really unpack and untangle all the ways that we've uh, really been uh, polluted by the world around us and really had the devotion that we need to have towards you twisted into something you never intended it to be. God, we pray that you would, through that, lead us into the true freedom of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start by talking first about a little history of the Ten Commandments. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it's really uh, the, with the Ten Commandments that God's covenant with the Israelites began. And ancient rabbis who were studying the Scripture were studying uh, first and foremost the Torah. The Torah, which is otherwise known in Christian circles as the Pentateuch, or the five, first five books of the Bible, the book of the law that Moses wrote and delivered by revelation to the people of God to show them not only who God was, but what God expected of his people as he served them. 
And as these rabbis studied the Torah, what they saw in predominantly the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is they were able to catalog about 613 separate commandments throughout the law of Moses. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, they're principles upon which the 613 laws are based. And the, ultimately, they're not only the uh, principles upon, upon which the laws are based, but when you even look at the teaching of Jesus, when he reduced the greatest commandments, the first two greatest commandments, down to two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second, love your neighbor as yourself, the Ten Commandments were, in essence, um, a sense of practical application of those golden rules, of those commandments that Jesus identified and esteemed. And so what we see is that in the first four of the Ten Commandments, God is actually laying out for us man's, it's focusing on man's relationship with and reverence towards God with love for God as, its ultimate, as their ultimate theme. The second six commandments are actually referring to instruction, giving instruction regarding man's relationship with other human beings, exhorting us to live a life that reflects what we like to call the golden rule, doing unto others as you would in fact have them do unto you. But when we first start, uh, talk about the first two, we see that it starts in Exodus 20. This is the first mention of the Ten Commandments. And in it, God says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, meaning the wrongdoing of the fathers, on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so these are the first two commandments of the 10 that God gives, showing us how to relate with God properly, ultimately revere him, and then develop our love for him. So what was the first commandment that ultimately it identified for us where God belongs in our lives? The first commandment was this, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment and that's the first expectation that God has of a people who profess to serve him, that we would have no other gods before him. Now, why does he say this? Well, God obviously knows that he is the creator of all of heaven and earth and everything good that we see in it. God knows that he gives breath and life to all of creation. And he says that as the creator, he knows how life itself is best lived and how all of our relationships, all of our pursuits, all of our identities best function. And so he gives us commands that are rails on which we're to run so that we can come into the life to the full that Jesus, in fact, promised to us when we follow him. 
But our problem is in our lives, we do believe that God wants good for us. Often we do at least, but we don't want to follow his commands to get to the good that he intends for us. And he says, first and foremost, if you want to come into the good that I have for you, you must have no other gods before me, meaning no other person, no other pursuit, no other relationship, no other identity, no other ambition. Nothing comes before me. I've got to be first if this is all going to work. That's the first thing that God says. And the question that we have in our lives is, have we put God in a practical way first in all of our lives? Well, what is he talking about here when he's saying put him first? Well, when he says, you will have no other gods before me, whenever the scripture is bringing up the word, not the big G God, meaning Yahweh or Jehovah, the covenant-making God who revealed himself to the people of Israel, but he's talking about the little G gods. The little G gods was referring to rulers, rulers who would rule over people's times, their energy, their talents, their resources. A ruler was in fact called a God. And God was not here affirming the fact that other religions or other gods by other names in fact are to be honored, revered, or even counted as true. God's saying here, I don't want anything to rule your life before me. That's what he's saying here. I don't want anything to rule your life before me. And the question of Christian worship is ultimately this. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, is there anything in our lives, in our time, attention, in our affections that we've been serving as a ruler before him? What has come before him? What relationship? What thought? What ambition, what priorities do we place before God, his kingdom, seeking him and serving him on a daily basis? Because ultimately God says, if you're going to love me, you've got to put me first. And people deceive themselves to think many times that whenever God's giving commands like these, God is ultimately somehow vain or somehow trying to steal from us that which we would actually enjoy without his laws being communicated to us. But that's in fact not true. Number one, God is not vain, but he's only receiving the worship that he's due. He cannot not be perfect. He cannot be anything but good. He cannot be anything but love. And so when he's saying, order your life in such a way where I'm first, he's saying, put me and all of these things that reflect me first. And when you do it, will go well with you. In fact, when you serve me first, you're not actually having things stolen from you. You're having things being given to you. The commands of God actually lead to freedom. The commands of God actually are the very thing that he was talking about when he first identified himself to the Israelites, saying this, I am the God, in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of your slavery in Egypt. Meaning that life without God at the center, life without God first, ultimately leads to slavery of different types. 
It's not just talking about a physical or a nation um, engendering slavery. It's talking about slavery in our souls, slavery in our minds and our hearts, slavery to carnal passions and desires that we really have no control of because we do not live by the word or the spirit of God. Think about it. It's why James the apostle who was the half-brother of Jesus, said this when he was exhorting Christians in the Scripture. He says, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of God, which is, he says, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he or she will be blessed in their doing. Meaning that God gave us a law, starting with these Ten Commandments, that were to be obeyed, that don't confine us, but actually lead to liberty. Why does he say that? Well, think about life before God. I I remember my life before God. And really, when I wanted to reject the commandments of God and live in my partying ways and go from relationship to relationship, immoral encounter to immoral encounter, What I thought was I actually had freedom in that place. But what I came to find was it wasn't actually freedom that I had, but it was bondage to lust, bondage to insecurity, bondage to a sense of me not feeling complete unless I had a girl on my right side and another one on my left. Insecurity unless I had somebody telling me how good I looked or how well I spoke or how well intelligent I was or how well I treated them. That was all a type of bondage because I was esteeming other people's opinions, other things and other pursuits above the God who wanted to give me security because he created me and actually actually wants to give me an identity that cannot be shaken. Why? Because it's founded in him, a joy that cannot be stolen. Why? Because it's given by the author of joy. And so when he's saying, come into the life of freedom, he's saying, ultimately, put me first, come into my law, and come into a place that you'll actually be not enslaved, but set free from your slavery. That's the first commandment. But the second is, has to do not with where God belongs, but it has to do with the distorted images that we make of God. And the distorted images of God actually enslave us rather than free us. Where the first commandment deals with God as a priority, the second deals with basically idolatry. You've heard that word before. It deals with making a caricature of God and finding out that we're not serving God as he is, but we're serving something that may bear his name, but it's actually not, has nothing to do with him. He said this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What's he talking about here? Well, I think this is the sway or the tide of our culture today, that people want to be spiritual, but they don't want to, in fact, be Christian as God talks about it in his word. They want to seem that they're somehow even a follower of God, but not adhere to the things that God himself commands. And why? 
because it's not popular all the time. It's not comfortable all the time. Because when God calls you to follow him, God is saying, I'm a holy God. And if you're following me, I'm calling you to be holy as well. And the word means set apart to him. Not living like or not acting like or not pursuing things like everybody else around you, which ultimately leads to destruction, but instead being set apart for his purposes and actually doing the things that he says he wants you to do. But a lot of times that may actually have people in our culture look at you in a way that is not always encouraging. People might look at you and say, why are you so tight? Or why are you so fanatic? Or why are you so stringent? When you choose to obey the commands of God. And so what we're tempted to do is actually say, I serve God, but I'm going to make him into a caricature. I'm going to make him to look like the culture around me and the things that the the world or the culture around me values I'm going to somehow find a way for God to value those things. And I'm going to find somehow a way for me to serve a God that actually looks a little bit more lenient on things like purity or sexuality or a little bit more lenient on things like how we treat one another across across ethnic and national lines, how we respond to people of the opposite sex. I think I'll serve a God that actually is a, looks a little bit more like what I see around me every day. That will be more palpable, not only to me, but to my friends and family around me. And when God's giving us a second command, he's actually saying, don't do that. I am God Almighty, the uncreated God of heaven and earth. I will not change according to cultural trends or tides. I will remain the same and I will remain holy and good. And I call you to be holy and good as well. And that's what he's saying here. Don't make a caricature of God. Don't make him into an image of the things that you see around you, but instead understand that he's jealous. He's jealous for you in a good way. Don't make a distorted image of him because when he's jealous for you, he's jealous for that which will lead you to life and what's good. All of God's commands lead to good, whereas idolatry leads ultimately not just to our personal detriment, But when we follow the ways of the world, it passes down in our family lines, leading to familial detriment. That's why he says, for those who hate me, meaning don't obey my commands, he says, I pass on the consequences of those iniquities to the third and fourth generation. But I bless to a thousand generations those who love and obey me. Why? Because they serve him as he is in the strength and trust of who he is, and not as a caricature. You see, an idol, in the essence of idolatry, is that whenever we substitute God's direct self-revelation and commands for a caricature, we are remaking God in a preferred image rather than he actually is. And the second commandment says not to do that. The damage done when we do that is palpable, personally, 
relationally and societally. Think about going around the city, even in what you find yourself, and finding even many churches today who are approving of things that God himself in his work clearly spoke against and ignoring things that God himself clearly said that we should esteem. You see, that's all about the second commandment. And in his book, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters, Dr. Timothy Keller uh, defined idolatry for us, this caricature making of God in this way. And it, he explained a little bit more the detriment that it has in our souls. He said, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol. Why do we remake God according to our preferences? Because ultimately we're looking for a foundation or a God that we don't serve, but actually serves us and gives us uh, what we think we require for our happiness and self-worth. But instead of it actually being the God who sets us free from slavery, it's this idol. He says, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, so here comes the detriment of worshiping idols rather than the one true God. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Have you ever been there before? It's like the thing that I wanted before and above even God and his commandments. Maybe it was a relationship and I couldn't have it or a job promotion and I felt like I deserved it, but you know, ultimately my identity was wrapped up in it and now I feel dejected and angry. Or maybe it was something else. God, I, I, whenever I, I don't get that thing, anger is the result. And it's absolute. Timothy Keller said your anger is actually the way that the idol, because of this distorted image of what you think God owes you, keeps you in its service, in its change. And therefore, if you find that despite all the efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot just subside, you may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger, meaning that you will be enslaved and even tormented in your mind and soul because you're not serving the God who leads to liberty, but you're serving instead a caricature of God that is an idol. To your detriment, the detriment of your relationships, your family, your friends, your colleagues, and God says, I want you to be set free from this. Learn to serve me as I am. Learn to obey my commands and then receive from me that which I give you as a reward of obedience to my commands. Be content with that and there will be freedom in your soul. Not the anger and the despondency, the lack of settledness and the constant angst that come from serving and worshiping an idol rather than the one true God. That's why God is jealous for us. He says, I'm jealous because I want to bring you into true freedom. Not have you serving caricatures, but actually serving the one true God on whom 
all of his commands and character are based and on whom all of his word is, uh, all of his word that leads us into the freedom that he actually has for us. And what we need to understand is that true freedom, the commands of God actually lead us to the true freedom that we're looking for. And it's not just true freedom for those who know they're broken and in need of a savior. If that's you today, you are in a good place because Jesus is here to meet with you and change your life, rebuild your life as you put your faith in him, turning in repentance away from sin and putting your confidence in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for you. That's the good news. But it's also an appeal to those who think they have it all together. They have it all together, but have neither placed God first and are also making a caricature of God, trying to serve God in a, in a way or if fashioning God out of their own imaginations and with the cultural tides as a pressure and don't realize that they're in fact enslaved because they think outwardly they're doing fine. And Jesus addressed this very specifically in John chapter 8, verse 31, when he said, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, not just a spirituality, but you live in my word, you are truly my disciples. Because his word helps us to remember he needs to be first. His word helps us to see clearly who he is and not what our culture would make him to be. He said, and then if you abide in my word, you'll truly be my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But these people who even believed him answered him. We are offspring of Abraham. See, we've been around this a while. We have a good spiritual lineage. We've, my, my daddy was a pastor. My, 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 my uncle was a deacon in the church. And I have all these spiritual heritage. I've been in the church since I was yay high. That's comparable to what they were saying. We have Abraham. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. I have what I need to have a good job. I have all the money I need. I have all the experiences I need. I'm good. I'm not enslaved. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He was saying to people who thought they had it all together and did not need God to set them free, he said, in fact, you are in fact in slavery to sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark, not obeying God's commandments. And if you found yourself a believer who is, yes, I agree with who Jesus said he is, but I've not practically put him first in my life to obey that first commandment. And then secondly, I have started to make a caricature of God that reflects the culture around me rather than his unadulterated word that shows me exactly and precisely who he is and what he expects of me, then you've been a slave to sin. You've been a slave to sin, and he says, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But what he wants to make you 
today is not just a religious person, not just a spiritual person, but a son or a daughter of the king who love him and obey his commands are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And he says, God will make you a new creation, setting you free and giving you a true freedom, a true freedom. And it's a freedom that you've ultimately longed for, ultimately longed for. Think about it. When is anything that you've ever put before God ultimately turned out for your enduring good? When has your career coming first, your physical appearance and looks, your romantic relationships, or even finding identity in the success of your children before God, before finding your identity in God first? When has that ever led to your enduring good? What we ultimately come to observe about these things is that when we put them before God, they become taskmasters to us, and we end up in slavery to them in our souls, that our happiness becomes dependent on them rather than our joy coming from the immovable foundation of God's character, his nature, and his purposes. And idolatry always takes more from us than it gives. It offers false hopes and promises that are temporary at best and must be fed constantly, must be fed constantly to simulate life. Jesus, however, invites you into his finished work, the finished work at the cross after he lived a sinless life in our place, died on the cross sacrificially to take the punishment that we deserve and because of his innocence was raised three days later to give us not only the opportunity for forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. And that's not just a second chance, but it's a repentance from the old ways, a turning from the old ways and putting our trust in the fact that he'll empower us to obey him as he originally intended us to, putting him first, serving him as he is, and not a caricature of who we think he should be. Jesus always gives more than we are ever able to repay. And it's why the famed evangelist Billy Graham said this, that nothing but God completely satisfies because the soul, your mind, your emotions, your will, they were made for God. So don't starve your soul. When we serve God first in obedience to his commands and before all things, everything important in our lives is put in their right place and in the right order so that rather than even good things becoming life draining to us, because they're in the right order, in the right place, defined by God, they become life giving. And this, my friends, is in fact true freedom the freedom that God wants to bring you into as you turn to Jesus as Lord, putting him first, obeying that first commandment in your life, and then secondly, serving him as the scripture actually reveals him to be rather than what culture would make him to be. This is true freedom, and this is the invitation that God has for us all today in Jesus' name. So let me close by basically giving you an invitation and if you say to yourself, you know what, I know I've been enslaved. And I know that if, if I was to stand before God today, not only would I come with my life in shambles and a wreck because of the decisions I've made and not putting God first in my life, 
but I know that I would also deserve death and hell because of my rebellion against him. If you know that's you already today, but you say, today's my day. I don't want to be deceived anymore. I want to be freed by the living God. And I want him to remake me, help me to put him first, and also to serve him as the Bible actually says he is, rather than what the culture would make him out to be. If that's you and you want to come into real relationship with the living God, would you pray this prayer with me today? God Almighty, I admit to you today that I've been a sinner. And I've reaped the consequences of death and destruction in my own life, dysfunction in my own life, because I've tried to put other things as more important than you and serve other relationships and other pursuits before you. And ultimately, it's led to torment in my mind, my heart, my soul, dysfunction in my relationships. And God, I know that at the end of the day, it would actually lead me to death and hell but I don't want it anymore. And I ask you to be my savior today. Lord, I believe that you came and lived the perfect life that I should have lived. And Jesus on the cross died sacrificially the death I should have died to pay for my rebellion against God. And because of your innocence, we're raised three days later so I could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. Jesus, I say you're my Lord today and I put you first. Would you teach me through your word, no longer to, to try to relate with you out of a caricature, but to serve you as you truly are, the holy living God of heaven and earth. And empower me to love you as you've loved me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God says that he's made you a new creation. So would you do two things with me? First, would you tap on the little link below to let us know that you're responding and giving your life to Jesus Christ today. And then respond to the prayer offer, connecting with another believer in Christ who wants to stand with you, encourage you, and also give you next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ. You can find those next steps at our link, secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find not only next steps, but resources that will help you. So please do get involved. Talk to a prayer counselor today and walk out this new life in God. And for the rest of us, let's pray together as we go back into worship that God would once again find his way to his throne in our hearts. Be the one that's first in our lives and also the one that we serve in spirit and in truth. Not in caricature, but as he truly is, the God revealed in the Bible. God, we ask you that you would help us do this today. Help remove all of the idols that we've set up in our hearts, the caricatures that we've made you, even by the fear of man pressuring us to make you something that you're not. God, would you once again free our hearts and empower us to serve you as first, as Lord? And not only that, but to come into the great joy of loving you as you are. Father, as a kind and righteous and holy God who wants nothing but our and humanity's good. God, would you help us to walk in that way from this point forward? In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to continue to discuss these things in our community groups throughout the week. And if you've not found one yet, please do visit our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. Please also think about how you can share this link so that the grace of God might be communicated to others you are praying for dearly, love, and also know. 
And we also want you to invite them next week so that others who need to know the good news about Jesus Christ might be introduced to him. We'll be praying for you this week, so please do let us know how we can be standing with you. God bless you and have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you then.